0: Hey there. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is a simulcast edition of our big time talker podcast and zoom into books with our friends at headline books, where we talk to some of the most interesting authors on the planet. And uh, if you're listening to the podcast, it's available now uh, to subscribe new episodes every Tuesday at audible.com. iHeartRadio, uh, radio, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast and it's all brought to you by our friends at Speakermatch.com, the world's largest online virtual speakers bureau. Thank you, Speakermatch, for making the show possible. Today, we're talking to a sports and entertainment legend. We don't throw that legend word around lightly. This is a gentleman who has uh, played the game of basketball in front of literally millions of fans in person, has also appeared numerous times on national network television to play the game, a member of what may be called the classic five of the Harlem Globetrotters from the seventies and eighties. Nate branch joins us today to talk about his brand new book done with Barry Kinzel playing
1: my way through life. Nate, it's great to see you. Hey, it's great to see you too. It's been a while, man. Since we talked, it's very good. Thank you, you so well.
0: much for being here. Thank you. As do you. And, uh, do you still get the basketball out and dribble it around every once in a while?
1: Well, I take it out to put air in it. And that's about as far as it goes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> hey, mm-hmm. so for folks that are joining us today um, that may not be familiar with you and your time with the Globetrotters, we got to start at the beginning because even before joining the world-famous Harlem Globetrotters, uh, you had quite a basketball legacy. So tell folks how it all started. Where did you grow up?
1: I grew up in East Palo Alto, California. Uh, I was born in Louisiana, uh, about 50 miles from New Orleans, and my family moved to Chicago till I was uh, 10, and then we moved to California at the age of 10 for me, and we've been there ever since, Well,
0: And you're still right there in Northern California, not too far outside yeah. San Francisco, no, but uh, yeah. how old were you when you first uh, had a basketball in your hands?
1: Believe it or not, I was in the uh, seventh grade before I started playing basketball had no interest in it, but it just came like a natural talent. So it became fun. And uh, so that started,
0: started later then than most kids.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's true. And when I look back on it, you know, I say, well, God, I never had a chance to go out and play on the playground too much because my father was a preacher. And uh, he kept me in church all the time. So I didn't get a chance to get out with the kids too much. So uh, you're 12,
0: 13 years old when somebody uh, says, hey, man, let's go play basketball. And do you remember what it was you liked about the game as a kid?
1: Well, I guess maybe the physical activity and and, and finally being with uh, a team sport because I never played team sports. Uh, I had uh, in recess, we'd play uh, softball, but uh, nothing like basketball. You know. Did you watch basketball when you were a kid? Were you a fan at all of the game? When I became, when I was about 17 years old, well, I had, well in high school, I started watching the NBA because the NBA only came on once a week on wow. Sunday. Uh, so uh, that's the only time I'd watch a game. But the only time I'd watch it was, was when the Will Chamberlain was playing. So Will was, was your guy? He was my hero. He was my hero, because at the time, he was with the uh, San Francisco Warriors. And uh, in high school, we won our championship. And he came down for our banquet, and he was sitting at the table with my parents and myself. And he was such an idol of mine that I used to wear a rubber band around my wrist like he did. So I was infatuated with him sitting at the table, and we were both reaching for the mashed potatoes at the same time. (laughs) And he noticed my rubber band. And uh, so after the banquet, he gave me his phone number and told me to call him. And you guys became lifelong friends. You yeah. and welcome Still from that. Because yeah. we lived about 20, 30 miles from San Francisco. And he'd drive down, and my mother would cook dinner for him. Because he was kind of liking my cousin. But uh, she said, he's too tall for me. I don't like him. <laughs>
0: That's a lot so of I, mashed potatoes to fill up yeah. Will Chamberlain.
1: And I asked her, I said, have you seen the size of his wallet? You know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah he was a great guy
0: well i was gonna ask you what what kind of guy was he we all know him as a player he's very well known for being a ladies man yeah. but what kind of guy was he uh you know as a mentor and then as a friend as
1: you grew up he was uh, to me he was great you know I, I idolized him so he couldn't do no wrong for me uh I remember when he came down, my, my father's uh, brother had passed away. So we were having a repast at the house. And my mother said, somebody named Wilk is on the phone for you. So he came to the house and he was such a nice, mannerable guy, you know. And he was saying, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. But even in the public, when I was with him, he took me shopping with him. Right. He, he always carried uh, $3,000 in his watch pocket on his jeans, you know. And he bought a sweater that cost uh, two hundred dollars one time. Wow! And he asked me did I want one. I told him no, sir. You know that's never two hundred dollars. That was my whole wardrobe. You know? <laughs> but uh, he was really a great guy. And as far as I, you know, the times that I spent with him, I taught him how to play guitar. Uh, but I, I loved him. I loved him to the stick.
0: Nate Branch is our guest today. His brand new book is playing my way through life stories about his time with Will Chamberlain and, uh, his fellow globetrotters, Curly Neal, metal lemon. The book is right here. There it is. Uh-huh. Nate Branch playing yeah. my way through life. And Nate, I have some news for you about the book, by the way, okay. uh, just, just came out. And, uh, this is, uh, this is breaking news, breaking news. Yeah. Nate, your book has just won an award from the Hollywood book festival you are now an award-winning author
1: oh fantastic oh what an honor what an honor Not that i love it thank you thank well you're
0: very welcome congratulations and by the way if you'd like to pick up a copy of nate's new book uh that he co-authored with barry kinzel great writer it's called playing my way through life you can go to natebranch.com natebranch.com and uh nate will send you an autograph copy of course also available for the publisher headlinebooks.com amazon.com and wherever great books are sold all right so you're in high school you're at an awards banquet with wilt chamberlain but at some point with this team that is doing so well in high school well where and how does it occur to you or, or your family that you are maybe more gifted at this game than the other kids on the team when did that click in
1: well i'll tell you uh Like I said, my father being a preacher and a pastor of the church. Right. And then with me playing piano for the choirs, I didn't have much time for extracurricular activities. Sure. So, but uh, my father didn't want me to play basketball because there was no no time. Ah. I had to do homework and then go to choir rehearsal or the usher board meeting or some other function at church. But my mother was adamant. She said, he's going to play. They got into a verbal altercation. (laughs) She wrote a letter to the high school coach and said, he's going to play. And my father never saw me play but one high school basketball game. Is that right? He was so involved in the church.
0: So that was a big thing between your parents.
1: Yeah, it was. It was. But I played, and luckily I did because it, uh, it changed my whole life, you know because we had the good players on our basketball team. See, I came from from a predominantly black school. Right. Uh, It was multicultural. I mean, we had all races in the school, but uh, the city of East Palo Alto was predominantly black. Right. uh, So when we won the championship, we played against a predominantly white school from Oakland across the bay. Yeah. And the game went five overtime. So, and I got, I was the fortunate one to shoot the last bucket to to win the game. So that changed my whole life. Okay. But uh, uh, I'm so glad that that my mother stuck up for me and played basketball. Your life could have gone a whole different direction. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, uh, I would have never, I would have never done the things that I've done if I hadn't played that in that high school game.
0: And I do want to talk to you uh, because you, you touch on it in the book about uh, music, because you've got a whole different sort of side of you that most people may not uh, be aware of in, in the music. So, uh, I, I definitely want to get into that, but I'm, I'm sort of fascinated by this dichotomy of, of your parents and, and your dad being the minister who's all about, you know, you got to get the homework done and sure. you got to do the church thing. Um. Was was growing up a, a preacher's kid? I mean, you always hear how, how that can go one of two ways, right? You're yeah. either going to toe the line or you're going to be completely buck wild.
1: Well, I had my moments, uh, but I wasn't that buck wild. You know, my father, he, he didn't spare the rod. Uh, so, you know, I kept on the straight and narrow as much as I could, you know. But uh, I'd sneak out of the house sometimes at night. Pushed my car out of the driveway so they couldn't hear the motor starting. So, go visit the girl, girlfriend, you know. But uh, uh, it was it was quite a, a, a life to being a preacher's kid. Sure, and yeah. you
0: grew up in in uh, a different time, and and for some of the folks who are joining us today on the show, Nate Branch is our guest, the Harlem Globetrotters legend. Um, you talked about you know uh, growing up in East Palo Alto. And in a predominantly black school, playing a predominantly white school from Oakland in the championship, um, you were uh, you came of age right in the middle of an enormous amount of racial strife in this yeah. country. What year yeah. did you graduate from high school? 1963. So you were right there in the middle of it.
1: Right in the middle. And at that time, East Palo Alto was the murder capital of the United States, per capita.
0: Is that right? Yeah,
1: wow. yeah, yeah. Yes. So
0: so how involved were you or what are your memories of um, the civil rights movement in the 1960s of, of Dr. King and the marches and, yeah. and all that? Take, take us back in time to what you remember firsthand.
1: I remember things when I see it on television about the, the riots, the marches. Uh, my father, was uh, he went back to Selma to march with Martin Luther King. And it's he ironic. was there. He was there in Selma. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I have to tell you a story about that when I got to college because they wanted me to go down to Selma in in March. Uh, and, but I told them I wasn't going because somebody hits me in the head. I'm hitting them back, you know. <laughs> so, but anyway, uh, but, uh, as I look back on it, the struggle of the of the, races, the black people uh, who finally got united and stuff like that, uh, it affected me, but not the way it did as when I got older to really appreciate the struggles that they made and the sacrifices they made to, to get to where we are today.
0: Did you feel that as much in a more progressive area like, like Northern California as it may have been felt in other pockets of the country in the Southeast, for example? Did well, it I feel thought,
1: segregated? Uh, no, not really, because I was brought up to to not be segregated. <laughs> you know, I mean, everybody was cool with me. Uh, it didn't matter your color of your skin. In fact, my first friend in East Palo Alto was a fellow from China, a little Chinese kid. And we paddled around. It wasn't nothing like that. You know, I wasn't aware of uh, segregation or, or, or racial tension because I never faced it. My parents kept me away from that. But all of our friends, white, black, Hispanic, uh, we were all good together. Even in my high school with all the different races we had there, everybody got along. You know? It was just it was just fun.
0: May Branch is our guest today, his brand new award-winning book, winner oh, of the Hollywood Book Festival. How about that? <laughs> Playing my way through life available now from headline books. Um you got offered a scholarship to play ball in college.
1: Yes. Talk about- to me
0: about that. How did how did you first hear that that you were up for it and what was that experience like to know my god somebody's going to pay for my college just to play ball
1: well i'll tell you my senior year in high school uh, uh, a couple coaches used to come watch me take pe and uh uh, after winning that shot they had my picture at the shot in high school they put my picture on the sports illustrated last page faces in the crowd and there's my picture a little posts that Nick Branch Yeah, yeah, five uh, overtimes. But see, I was such a, a novice at articles. I never read the articles when we ran, you know, won a game. It right. Said, 21 points, 19 rebounds, you know. The first time I saw my name in the newspaper, I cut my name out of the article and put it in the scrapbook, Nick Branch. But not Just your name? Yeah. <laughs> And my coach said, no, you got to cut the whole article out, man, so we'll know what you're that's talking great. about. That's you great. Know? Uh, yeah, so I had about 35 offers from different uh, colleges. And uh, I asked Will Chamberlain one time, I said, Will, which, which college should I go to? He says, I won't tell you which college to go to, but if I hadn't have gone to Kansas, I would have gone to Nebraska. And that's all I needed to hear, because one of the coaches that used to come out, was from Nebraska. So I said, I'll go to Nebraska because we'll have we'll gone there. And I, I checked on their winning season. They hadn't had a winning season since 1930s or something like that. So I said, I can only go up from here. But uh, I decided to go there. Quite an experience going to Nebraska. It must have been an
0: incredible, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, you tell me, incredible culture shock to move from Northern California, major metropolitan area. And then suddenly, you're a Cornhusker.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, when I started with in Nebraska, there was I think eleven thousand students, and I think uh, less than a hundred were black.
0: Wow, I didn't realize that school was ever that small—eleven thousand yeah. students.
1: Yeah, much yeah. less
0: only a hundred black kids.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And because uh, Nebraska was big in football. Yeah. Sort of yeah that was a big thing for black guys to go there because they were pretty good but you're talking about a cultural shock uh when i uh when i left east palo alto to go to school my parents dropped me off and my mother gave me so many flannel underwear long johns, <laughs> and uh, jackets just to stay warm right so the first day it snowed i wasn't used to snow so uh i put in all this long johns on sweaters and stuff and I go to class and they had the heat up to about 90 degrees you know? <laughs> I'm sweating in the class and everything like that. But the people there in Nebraska were so nice. It was they were it seemed like they went out of their way to be nice.
0: Maybe maybe they saw, look, this is a, a fish out of water. He's in a you know a spot that's very unfamiliar. Maybe they they loved you up a little bit more because of that.
1: It's possible. It's very possible. In fact, uh, my sophomore year, uh, they gave me a white guy for my. Uh, I keep saying I hate this. To, to that you say with terminology. White That's guy. all right. You're amongst but, friends. Uh, yeah, he was my roommate. So for three years, and we got along so well. You know, I, I bought a, a 1957 Chevy, and he when we go out of town for playing on a away game, he'd uh borrow the car, and I knew it was in good hands. He's a big time injer. Uh, big time. Uh, what do you do? Architect now in uh, Denver, Colorado.
0: Oh, your college roommate. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He hasn't sent me a dime, though. I think he still owes me $3. See what happens? They just forget you, Nate. It's not yeah, right. That's right. <laughs> what was your highlight of your college playing career? If you can nail it down to one thing that, that you look back on and you go, man, that was great.
1: Just the experience. Yeah. Just the experience of meeting the people. And uh, being in a place where you can see for miles and miles and miles, you know, I had a little band. I I formed a little combo there when I was in Nebraska, and I had a trio. I had a guitar player and a drummer, and I bought an organ for 600 bucks. And we do, uh, like, some of the uh, junior colleges, uh, homecoming games, high school uh, uh, proms and stuff like that, Uh, fraternity parties, sorority parties, and I was making money. They're doing that when I could, you know. That I was, was your side
0: then. hustle when you weren't w- in yeah. class
1: and playing ball. But then, but back then, uh, we played for three hours for like two hundred dollars, <laughs> you know. And I, I told the two, my two guys who were Nebraska guys, I said, look, I can promise you fifty dollars a weekend a piece, whether we're working or not. But see, I was doing the booking, so I knew I was booked up for the rest of the year. And they said we'll take the fifty bucks a week. so I was sending money home, but uh, it was uh, it was fun to do that. It was really fun. So uh,
0: I got to ask you: This is mid '60s. What kind of music were you playing back then? Was it uh, were you playing Motown stuff? Were you playing whatever was on the radio? Do you remember some of those songs?
1: Yeah, probably some of the oh, Walk in the Dog, uh, (laughs) some of the Beach Boys stuff and uh some of the You could local- do those beach boys harmonies nate oh well my boys didn't sing i had to do it all ah you did all of- tell you this let me tell you this Col- right. uh me being a preacher's kid and, and growing up in the church when i went to nebraska i was so used to going to church on sundays right that i opened up the phone book to look for a church that was near campus right and there was, my father's church was the St. John Baptist Church. And I'm going down the phone book, and there's the St. John Baptist Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Perfect. So I said, well, I'll go there. So I went to church that Sunday morning. I sat in the back. And uh, the preacher got up. He says, well, this is the last Sunday for our musician. He's going back to Chicago. He said, but I'm not worried about it, because the Lord's going to send us somebody to play. Perfect. Okay. So I joined the church. So he asked me, he said, well, where would you like to work in the church? I said, well, I'll join the choir. I never told anybody I played, right? So uh, that week they had choir rehearsal and I go, I go sit in the back of the choir and they're singing acapella, cappella. Right? But it's the song that I already know how to play. So huh, they start singing the song acapella. I just got up and went to the piano and start playing it. And they start shouting like, Lord, it came through the roof, you know. <laughs> so I joined the church and was a musician, and they were paying me $15 a Sunday. But I just turned around and put it right back into the collection plate.
0: Do the sorority party on Saturday night, church on Sunday morning.
1: <laughs> That's right. You know, the devil in the blue dress.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so. Nate Branch is our guest today, a legendary Harlem Globetrotter and... Also, a pretty good side hustle as a musician as well. Uh, the new book is Playing My Way Through Life. It's available everywhere, including natebranch.com, where you can get an autographed copy. Barry Kinzel is the co-author, uh, also available at the publisher's website, headlinebooks.com, uh, amazon.com, and wherever books are sold. When you graduated from from college, uh, 67, 68, somewhere in there? 67. You're right in the middle of it. You're right in the middle of the Vietnam War. Yes. What what goes through a young man's mind at 22 years old, 21, 22 years old, about to come out of college, and you're seeing guys everywhere being shipped off overseas, and some of them not coming back. Do you remember what you were thinking during that time? I knew I didn't want to
1: go to war. I didn't me it was senseless but uh, uh i was drafted to the army and
0: uh it didn't really matter what you wanted it's what uncle sam
1: wanted yeah yeah i got that thing it said greetings you know like it says, <laughs> like say, a like christmas it. card <laughs> so i went to my draft board and i uh, took the know, the little physical, physical? yeah and uh, they said you can go home blah blah blah. i'm going wow i don't want to go to war but see this is 1967 I had no aspirations of going with the Globetrotters. Right. Never thought about it. Never wanted to. I was drafted by the Oakland Oaks in this area and uh, San Diego Rockets at that time. Uh, went to the camp with the Oaks, twisted my ankle the first day. They told me to go home for a couple of weeks. I went home. My mother says, there's a big stack of letters from the Globetrotters here. And I only saw the Globetrotters play on Wide World Sports once a year. Right, had no idea. Didn't know who Miller was. Curly. Connie Hawkins, those guys. (laughs) But anyway, I said, well, maybe I can go back to Chicago and keep my ankle in shape and get my ankle in shape and uh, come back to Oakland. So I go to Chicago and uh, I'm expecting like 200 guys to try out for the Globetrotters. They only had two spots open. So I said, okay. But they only had six guys to try out. So I go and I start scrimmaging with the gold trotters. Uh Here's Metalark Lemon, Curly Neal. We're running back and forth. And I'm stealing the ball from Curly, going down, dunking. And they made me an offer. Right? They said the same offer that the Oaks did. It was $10,000 for the season. That's the same uh, uh, money that the Oaks offered me. Gold wow. trotters offered me $10,000. But my rent was... $190 a month for a 2 bedroom apartment. I, it was a I had whole different got, thing. I got married. What? I just got married in July, and here it is October. And I told the uh, Gold Trotters, I said, well, I'm going to go home and uh, get some clothes and come back. They said, no, we'll get hitting the road tomorrow. I had no idea we're hitting the road. Meant. We were on a bus. Both teams, the Washington Generals and the Harlem Gold Trotters on the same bus the halftime max, the referees, the road manager, we were all on the same bus. Uh, so it was a shock, man. It was a shot. But a great
0: adventure, I guess, as a young guy. Um, yeah. you, you talked about going down to the draft board, and they sent you home. How is it that you managed to not get shipped
1: that, off? That's what I was leading to. After I joined the Globetrotters, we get our meal maybe once, twice a week, because they just ship it ahead to the hotel where we are going to be staying. I was getting these draft notices again. But what I would do is I'd hand it back to the front desk and tell them we already left. I wouldn't even open the envelope, you know, because I knew what it was. <laughs> but we were in Pennsylvania one day. Uh, I think it was Scranton, Pennsylvania. And incidentally, that's where Wilkins scored his 100 points. Uh, There's this guy in the Army uniform with all these medals and stuff from down his army sitting with a little kid. So, at halftime, I'm walking out, and I walk past him, and I say, hey, how you doing? So I call him Sarge. I said, you want to come back in the locker room and get some autographs, little fella? And I gave him my armband, and the little boy said, yeah. So I took him back in the locker room, and he introduced himself to me. He said, hey, my name is Colonel Skeleton. I'm the chief surgeon of the Army. And I said, are you just the man I want to talk to? And I, said, I told him my predicament. I said, I mean, I can't go to the Army. I've been getting drafted. So he says, where's your, where's your draft for and then the next thing I know, I'm 4-F. So, It's you know, good to have
0: low friends in high places, and isn't I, it?
1: I said, thank you, Lord. Said, <laughs> the Globetrotters wanted me to go into the National Guard so I could play games and then go back and do that. I didn't want to go to the National Guard either. But, uh, wow. I was fortunate. I was fortunate.
0: Sure. Well, as, as we talked about, you know, a lot of young men your age went and never made it back.
1: Yeah. And I didn't want to go to Canada.
0: So uh, <laughs> you were that serious about it. You were that much. I'm yeah. not going, I don't want to do it. You I, were,
1: Yeah. No, I wasn't going,
0: me and Ali. <laughs> when, uh, when you lived out in, in Lincoln, Nebraska, and then you had the opportunity or so you thought to come back home to the Bay area. Um, did you find that that you had missed living in Northern California, missed the big city or, or did you adjust to being a small town guy in Lincoln?
1: Uh, it was an adjustment, but, you know, like I said, I was making a little money on the side. Uh, so I had an apartment about two blocks from campus, but I kept my campus room in the dorm. So the football players would like to rent my apartment. I think it was 30 bucks a month. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was just a shacky place, but they stole all the furniture out of the, the dorm, the apartment. Yeah, 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 I had tables, couches, beds, and everything. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I forgot what you just asked me.
0: So you're at, well, we were talking about whether you wanted to, uh, to move back to the big city or whether you sort of got, you know, got into small town life like that.
1: No, 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 no. I, I couldn't wait to get back, but, uh, I didn't miss it because I had it adjusted to, to being there, you know? So I didn't really miss it until because it was what it was. I tried to make myself, well, I've learned how to make myself comfortable home is where you make it right and for me it was a, a new home every day because you know the globetrotters played 300 games a year so it was a it was a different hotel most of the time every day
0: when uh, when folks of a certain age and i am of that certain age think about the harlem globetrotters nate they think about that team that you were a part of with metal Ark lemon and curly neal and, and, and geese osby and um, Marcus Haynes, yeah. 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 Marcus Haynes, who, uh, you know, one of my very first interviews I ever did as a broadcaster was oh, when wow. Marcus Haynes came to my town. What a great oh, ball yeah. handler. Um, oh, yeah. the Globetrotters though had a long history before that started yeah. in, I think in the 1920s, but there was mm-hmm. something that happened in the 1970s where the planets, and the stars all lined up. And for several years there, The Harlem Globetrotters were the biggest sports entertainment franchise on the planet. Now, you were right in the middle of that, so maybe you were too close to it to know why, but but you've got some time looking in the rearview mirror. What is it you think that made the Harlem Globetrotters so incredibly popular during that time?
1: Well, you know, uh, uh, during that time, Stan Greason was our general manager. He was also, he used to be a Sufi sales manager at Peter Nero's. And uh, so he was connected to Hollywood. So he got us all the TV exposure. Uh, the cartoons, uh, the Saturday morning popcorn machine with the show. Yep. Uh, uh, Gilligan's Island. So uh, I think it was the, the TV exposure that kind of made everybody aware who the Globetrotters were. and uh, Because in between our little skits, we handled the ball. <laughs> and, and, so I think that's what really made it popular.
0: And you know, for kids, like I said, when we were kids at that time, you guys were like superheroes. The Harlem Globetrotters and, and Evil Knievel were real life superheroes. That's right, that's right. And and they took that as, as superheroes to become the premise of the Saturday morning Harlem Globetrotters cartoons.
1: Absolutely, yeah.
0: And I- and I have a, a memory, and I may be wrong about this, but my memory, Nate, is that your superpower had something to do with all the cool stuff that you had hidden in your afro.
1: No, that was uh, a Gizmo. I mean, yeah, that was Gizmo. That was uh, Sweet Lou Dunbar. Oh, was, that's right. Sweet Lou, yes. I was a, a fluid man. I could turn the water. <laughs> and I was also uh, the head of the group. Uh, in that thing. You know, on that cartoon, uh, I was on because Scatman Carruthers did my voice.
0: That's right. The legendary yeah. Scatman.
1: Yeah, and I got a chance to meet him when we did Gilligan's Island and we have lunch together. And I was just amazed. Just, I was in awe, just sitting in this company. You
0: know? Gilligan's Island, you mentioned. You did the uh, the Harlem Globetrotters on Gilligan's Island TV movie. And yeah. uh, perhaps not an Academy Award winner for Best Picture. <laughs> That's right. But yeah. I'm sure lots of fun. What, what do you remember about doing that
1: movie? What
0: are your recollections?
1: Uh, it took us about uh, 10 days to do it. Uh, just meeting those actors and how nice they were to everybody you know in fact uh, I was married but ginger wanted to ask me what was I going to do for dinner and I told her well I got to go with my wife here and
0: yeah.
1: uh, I was honored to <laughs> he asked me because everybody else was hitting on her, but I couldn't I mean I didn't <laughs> uh, She came to me yeah. Mrs. Branch
0: kept you on a short leash
1: that's right yeah 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 uh <laughs> But no, it, it, just doing this show was just a, a new experience, you know, an uh, acting experience. I, you know, when you they give you your script ahead of time, and, uh, you, and you do your lines, and you get out of the way, uh, but it was fun, it was fun, plus we got paid for it. <laughs> well, hey, listen,
0: if you can have fun and get paid for it, you kind of got the whole deal figured out. That's right,
1: that's right, that's right.
0: Our guest today on the program is Nate Branch. The brand new award-winning book is called Playing My Way Through Life. It's all about uh, Nate's life in and out of the Harlem Globetrotters, co-written by uh, Barry Kinzel. And Barry, by the way, sends a note in to you on our messenger. says, great job, Nate. Proud to have worked with you. Tell me about writing with Barry Kinzel, because you guys did this uh, in an amazing technological way. You co-wrote the book during the pandemic and and for the longest time never met each other in person
1: right that's right first i want to thank you in court and get barry for making all this possible
0: man. well you're very welcome you guys, uh, how you did guys. you do that how did it, it take me behind the scenes and nuts and bolts how do you write a book with someone when you're thousand miles apart
1: well we had about 15 17 uh, zoom uh meetings like we did here and uh, barry would give me homework to do ask me questions for me to get the answers to the following uh, uh, meeting. But uh, I'd sit here and then he'd ask me questions and i just talk. And, and I think about it now after reading the book, I said one thing to sit and reminisce about your life but to read it and it comes back and hits you in the face. Sure. You know, and it's, it's just a, a humbling experience. You know?
0: I heard it's, somebody it's, say uh, about writing a memoir that it's like peeling back the skin of an onion, you know, one layer at a time to go back and remember those things. Were there things that, that you had forgotten until you got in there and start peeling that onion
1: back? Absolutely. That's a lot of things. Uh, In fact, even now, after the book's written, things are coming to me. I said, I should have mentioned this. I should have mentioned that, you know, but.
0: uh, It's a sign of a life well lived. Um, So you, so you're off with the Globetrotters in the late sixties. You're doing bus tours all over America and then overseas as well.
1: Yeah. We do six months
0: in the States and then three months in Europe. Was so that I, your first time ever going to Europe was with the Globetrotters? Yes. Yes. yes and how were you received there? Would you remember where you went and how you were received? On yeah, your first I, remember,
1: I remember, you know, I look at TV now and I see movies overseas and I see the cities and they're driving through. I yes, said, I've been there, you know, I've been there Eiffel tower. I walked under there, you know, Westminster Abbey. I've been in there and looked at everything, you know, uh, uh Sistine chapel, you know, uh, that's one of the great things about being a Globetrotter because compared to the NBA, those guys, they make a lot of money, but they never get to see the places that I've been or met meet the people that I've met. Sure. You know, they can never do that. And, uh,
0: well, it sounds like back in that time period, though, in the 70s and on into the early 80s, the pay disparity was, was not as broad as it might be today, right? That you were making yeah. NBA money back then.
1: Well, I was making $10,000. Will Chamberlain was the highest paid in the NBA. He was making 80000 a year. Okay. So, well, I was no Will Chamberlain, so. <laughs> That's grand, a tough comparison, though, Nate. Yeah, but 10000 was, it was adequate. It was a... It, it was it, it, beat it eight to five. What and was I, your,
0: yeah, no kidding. What was, uh, what was your, your favorite part of that experience with the globetrotters, if there was one thing that you go, you know what, this was the takeaway,
1: the people, the people that I met, I have a friend now she lives in New York, New York Springs, New York. She I just talked to a couple of days ago. She's in the book. She's from Italy, heavy Italian accent. It's the people that you meet. You know, that's to me, that's the most important thing. It's not the games. Uh, sometimes I'd enjoy the game more than the people who bought tickets because every night something would be happening different, but nobody knew but us. You know? And uh, But I think the most important thing that I cherish is the people that I met and the places that I've been.
0: Were the Globetrotters the uh, the originators, would you say, of, of sports entertainment? Were you guys the. The first ones to do
1: that, uh, I think so. I think uh, uh, it was such a, a, a crowd pleasing experience. You know, nobody left about oh the Washington Generals lost. Oh, woe is me? You know, uh, they just enjoyed the show. Yeah, and we had one of the great in my experience in my time. Medlock Lemon was the greatest thing that ever since sliced bread because he would improvise so much, so much. That uh you never knew what he was gonna do, you never knew
0: and I read you know that the u metal became very, very close, yes, very close friends
1: uh didn't realize that how much older he was than myself, uh, I think it was thirteen years or something like that, but he took me under his wing, uh he'd go out and buy toiletries or something like that, but he'd buy two sets, one for me, one for him, a bowl so a bag of fruit, he'd buy two sets, bring me one, knock on my door Here. And I do the same thing for him, you know, because I can imagine after a few years of playing, I can imagine the sacrifice it is being out there and having to be the star every night, you know, uh, being just a, one of the regular players, you can go through your emotions and nobody notices. Right. Uh, people came to see Middle-Earth Lemon and Clearly. and he never disappointed, he never missed the game, 22 years. Wow. I remember one night he hurt his knee and they took him to the hospital. He came back and finished the game with a big bandage on his knee. And I said, that's dedication, man. That's that's dedication.
0: No kidding. the Clown Prince of basketball, the late yeah. great yeah. metal arc lemon.
1: I learned a lot from him. Really did.
0: What about Curly Neal? Tell me about Curly Neal. What kind of guy was he? Off he was, the court.
1: He was, <laughs> Curly was crazy, man. Uh, <laughs> Curly uh he enjoyed himself. He used to have like we'd have rookies and uh Curly had this foam brick, but it was painted like a real brick, right? And, uh, and he kept it in there on his seat. So when a rookie would get on first rookie would get on the bus first time, Curly would start a play argument with him and he grabbed this foam brick and throw it at him and the guy was would... <laughs> But uh Curly was a guy, he was an also dedicated guy. Uh he uh when he, you know, they recognized Curly because of his bald head. Right, sure. He's sitting at the top, but you couldn't tell who Miller was because we were all wearing afros. Uh, but uh, you recognized Curly. and Curly never dis disappointed the kids, never stopped signing autographs. But Curly would speak his mind, though. If something happened that he didn't like, like in the restaurant or something, man, come on, man. Oh, man, come on, man. Are you crazy? But that was Curly curly. I enjoyed the, the relationships I had with curly and Mellark, but Mellark and curly weren't that close. So far as associating with each other, right? They, they respected each other and admired each other, but they, they never hung out together or nothing like that. They'd go do uh, interviews and stuff like that together, but that.
0: No. But off the court, we're not necessarily the best of pals.
1: No, no. Well, curly every night, curly would grab a. a We finally got an ice chest on the bus, and Curly would grab about six beers, uh, cans of beer, and then you go by his room, and he'd have the heat up to 90 because he loved heat, and I couldn't stay in his room for about five minutes, but he'd take the garbage can, the trash can, and go fill it up with ice, and after the game, that's where you'd find Curly in his room, watching TV and having a beer. Quite a guy.
0: We're talking about the Harlem Globetrotters with a legendary Globetrotter, Nate Branch. His new book is an award winner. Uh, Just won a Hollywood Book Festival Award. It's called Playing My Way Through Life. Get autographed copies at natebranch.com. I'll pick it up at headlinebooks.com as well. The Washington Generals. You've Mm -hmm. got a quote on the back of the book from Mickey Greenberg, who was a Washington general in the late 60s. Nate Branch was athletic, always smiling, and fun to be around. I'll never forget the day he broke the backboard at the right, Boston, Boston Garden before a Celtics game. Yeah. We Tell me about play. that.
1: Yeah, we'd play, uh, you know, because the NBA was decent, but they weren't really drawing the big crowd. So they'd, they'd uh, book a double hitter. Charles Charters come in, and play half a game, then the NBA game would. In Boston, at the Boston Garden, you know, in the wintertime, we'd play Boston. So it would be cold inside the building, I guess. And when they turned the heat on, those backboards then would get brittle. So we were warming up to play our half a game, and I'm dunking the ball. bam! And all of a sudden, the whole backboard just came down, crashed down. <laughs> now, no, but luckily, they had some spares. It took a minute. So we ended up hurrying up our game so because the NBA was on a time frame so that'd be the end of the evening in a lot of arenas yeah. and, you know but i the only good thing i of crashing that backboard was that night I mean, eleven o'clock news they showed that, and I said, oh, that was me yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't have to pay for it though.
0: yeah, exactly <laughs> uh i wonder I wonder if being a Washington general, what if there was a every psychological toll on those guys that they get kicked around by the globe Trotters every night?
1: Well, I'll tell you. Uh, when I joined the Globetrotters, I, the first month, I played with the Washington Generals. Oh, really? And, okay. Uh, I guess the Globetrotters had an idea. If he sits down and plays against us, he'll learn the routines and stuff like that. So I, I played with them and I stayed with them. Uh, uh, but uh, you know, you don't you don't really get down because you know what you're expected to do. Uh, but there's a period of the game where they play straight basketball. Right, usually the third quarter back when I used to watch yeah, a lot. third quarter, it was strictly basketball. You know, we'd sit down because he'd get in the way. And then we'd play <laughs> straight basketball. But so when I was with the generals for that month, uh, we were holding our own against the go you know, because uh, we took a little pride in our play. But we knew when to back off. They'd take us out the gate. Yeah. But uh, oh, the Washington just... generals never wrote down. They, they, they were good guys. I used to hang out with them after games, even when I was a trotter. They were just
0: that good, good friend. Dave Branch is our guest today, legendary Globe Trotter, and and I think back to to all those games on ABC's Wide World of Sports on Saturday, and that was that was appointment television to see the Globe Trotters on. Yeah, 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 and even for you before you were Globetrotter, that's where you 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 saw them. Um, is there one one of those appearances or one of those maybe a game in front of? uh, VIPs or, or, you know, something like that, that you sort of look at as sort of the peak or the pinnacle of your, your Globetrotters career.
1: Well, one of them, there's several, but one of them, we played, uh, we did a wide world of sports in Atlanta, Georgia. I think Muhammad Ali was standing in the same hotel and, uh, Howard Cosell was doing the commentary. Wow. And we had interviews with him privately, uh, separately. And so I walked in the room and he looks at me, he says, He has a big cigar, you know. I walk in the room and says, Nate Branch, University of Nebraska, 1967. (laughs) Come on in and have a seat. Would you like a drink? And I say, no, thanks. (laughs) But uh, that, to me, uh, and then I wrote a song called the Harlem Globetrotters, and they used my song on the White World of Sports. Wow. And 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 then uh, Cosell said, that's Nate Branch singing that song and blah, blah, blah. In that particular year, I went to uh, Reno, Nevada, and Bill Cosby was doing his show. Cosby used to play with us in LA when we played it. And uh, I sent a note back. and said, hey, Bill, you know, Nate Branch, blah, 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 blah. So he stopped this show halfway through his routine. He said, turn the house lights up. He said, Nate Branch, you out there? And I stood up. He said, that's the guy that wrote the song, Harlem Globetrotter. Uh, that you heard on wild world of sports last weekend right and so but here's the deal the globetrotters wanted me to sign a contract saying that i couldn't use the song for 10 years without their permission and i said why i mean i wasn't trying to make any money music was my love i just wrote the song for fun sure but i didn't sign their contract to do that you know and another time they offered me uh, i was offered a contract to be uh, the lead singer for the Commodores because Lionel Richie had just left.
0: You were offered the way yeah. hold on, hold on. This yeah. is more breaking news. This is great. By the way, these stories are available in Nate's book. Right. The Commodores
1: offered you the lead be- singer job after right. Lionel Richie left. That's right. They hired a manager for me. Uh, he stuck with me for a couple of days. Uh, the Globetrotters didn't want me to do it because they was arguing about who going to pay for his transportation uh suppose we need him in new york uh and then the globetrotters didn't want them the commodores using any publicity mentioning harlem globetrotters without their permission so the commodore said well suppose we're in london trying to get a record deal and we got to tell these people we got to go back and see if it's okay so they squashed that so i didn't do it but when i met lionel richie in new york he says man i heard you I heard your stuff. He says, you're going to be okay. Yeah,
0: that's amazing. So you you could have been out there with Walter Clyde Orange, yeah, William King, all those guys. And and by the way, you know they hired a, a British singer, JD Nichols, who's been yeah. with the Globetrotters ever since. Line of left. That could
1: have been you, Nate. I know, isn't that something? But you know, uh, I went. Uh, I was in. Uh, oh my god, Indonesia, went time and. Right? Uh, the Commodores were coming, and I, but I had to leave. So I said, "Oh, I wish I could stay." I know uh, that that hurt me, but I wanted to. You know, I said, "I wonder what the men like being with the Commodores, because I admired those guys."
0: Nate Branch is our guest today, and as we wrap up our conversation with him, I I, I got to talk to you about music, but I also have to talk to you about your exit from the Globe Trotters because uh, at the time it was controversial.
1: Yes. I tell you and, what, I,
0: and you know, I hate to bring it up, but I'm going to ask: What took you
1: away from the Globetrotters?
0: It was not a good exit.
1: No, it wasn't. You know, see, when Stan Greisen left the Globetrotters, he and I were really good friends. I, I knew more about running the business of the Globetrotters than most of the people in the company. Right, but I became the player coach for three years. I okay. The all right, and uh, there was the a lot of jealousy from the coach of the other unit. I won't mention his name.
0: But there were two, uh, to, to uh, make sure folks know, there were two groups of Globetrotters yeah. out at
1: all times. Yeah, there was one unit that stayed out of the country while we were in the country. And, and in the summertime, we'd go to we'd take pairs from both units and go to Europe. Right. Anyway, uh, my mother was in the hospital here in Palo Alto. We played San Francisco in the Bay Area. And the guy asked me, and I asked for a day off. Right, And I left my suitcases in my hotel room. Because the next day we were going down to Stockton and eventually to Phoenix, Arizona.
0: And you wanted to stay back so you could visit your mom in the hospital. Yeah,
1: right. So I asked this guy to put my bags on the bus. He said, okay. <laughs> so the next day after that, I tell my mother, I go to Phoenix, Arizona. And I get off the bus, off the plane to get my bags. And... Somebody says, Nate Branch? I turned around and said, yeah. He says, uh, showed me his badge and everything. He said, we have information that you're carrying contraband in your suitcase. I said, you must be crazy. He said, you mind if we open your suitcase? I said, no, help yourself. He opens up my suitcase and there's marijuana and cocaine sitting right on top. Right? I said, wow. I said, that's not mine. So he says, look, there's a lot of people waiting to see you play this game tonight. We're going to let you go. Play the game. He said, but somebody doesn't like you because we knew what time your plane was coming. We know what color your suitcase was. He says, somebody doesn't like you. So I go play the game. He says, okay, Nate, we're gonna have to take you down and fingerprint you, then we'll let you go. He says, going up and shower and so forth. I go up to my room, take a shower, sit on the bed drying off, and there's my picture on the TV, on the news. Nate Branch been busted at the airport in York. Mm. That same, about an hour later, I get this call saying I've been suspended from the Globe Tribes. I said, well, wouldn't you want to know if I'm guilty or not of this stuff? They they said, no, they didn't want guilty to Guilty in
0: the, in the court of public opinion.
1: Yeah, yeah. So then I get a call from Canada. They said, man, your picture's all up in Canada. What's going on? You know, I said, man, I don't know. You know, but first thing, It came to my mind, I didn't want my mother to be shocked. Right. You know, so I called her, I said, Ma, I don't know what's going on. I said, and I called the road trialers. They said, no, uh, you suspended. They didn't want to talk to me because it was time for me to go. Because I made it comfortable for the guys. When the guys were playing, I gave one guy who wasn't a really major part of the show, I gave him one night, I rotated, but I gave one guy a night off to go to the movies, to do something different, to break the monotony. You know? Right. Out of the 15 years, me being a preaching kid, I never had one chance to go to church out of the 15 years while we were on the road because we were playing double-headers on the weekend. You know, but uh, the way that happened, I found out who did it, right? And I said, well, it's done now. You know, The even the, the my players, I, they, they called me, they said, hey, man, what's, what's going on, man? What, I said, man, I don't know. But I knew it was time for me to leave the organization because I was making the guys happy, you know. I, I, I go to my boss and say, man, these guys, need throw a hundred bucks on them or something. Tell them to go to dinner. He says, you do what you have to do to make sure that the show goes gets off, all right. And then and it was nice. I take the team out to dinner. You know, I say, it's on the company. Let's, let the company seem like they, they care about us. Uh, when Curly and Geese's wife would come out the visit for a few days, I get them a suite in the hotel instead of standing in a regular hotel room because that's right, I, yeah. And I told the guys, I said, Fellas, I'm doing the same thing that you're doing, so don't think I'm getting any perks, it's all good, yeah. Your
0: life changed immediately at that point,
1: yeah. yeah.
0: And from being on the road constantly, constantly being on the go for 15 years like that, and then suddenly you're not, yeah. How was that adjustment for you? Must was, have been tough. Yeah,
1: Well, yeah, it, it was. Tough. It, it was shock. It was shock. You know, all of a sudden my paycheck stopped. You know, I got to tell my wife, you know. She was sympathetic. Uh, everybody was sympathetic. She said, well, what you going to do, Nate? So I sat on my butt for about six months, not knowing what I was going to do. And then I finally ended up going to, back to church and playing piano and making a living. So, uh, so when I, in retrospect, I look back, I said, "Me leaving the Globetrotters, really, it was the best thing that ever happened to me at that time." Because after 15 years, that's enough. That's enough. See, I hate the most thing I hate most about being a Globetrotter is the, the sacrifice you make about seeing your kids grow up. Okay. I leave home in eight, uh, October and I come back in June.
0: Yeah. So. that's an awful lot. Yeah,
1: it's a sacrifice, but you, you can't have both
0: you did have the opportunity to really get back into music and, and today if we get out to the Bay area on the weekend, we can still see you performing on Sunday
1: mornings in church. That's right. It's on zoom too. That's right. Yeah.
0: So your life has really in some ways come full circle from growing up as a preacher's kid and seeing right. the choir and playing in church on Sunday mornings.
1: In fact, Barry thought about a uh, uh, title for the book. Uh, he says, from the piano to basketball and back to the piano. Yeah. But, uh, you know, music's my first love. I love it. You see my piano here.
0: That's right. Yeah, I, I was kind of... going to ask you to break into Brick House, but I thought better of it. <laughs> no, no,
1: no. Yeah, I've, I've been writing. I've got a CD that I'm going to try and get promoted. It's, uh, What's, I music... was going to ask you, so what? what is
0: next for Nate Branch? You've, you've been in some amazing rooms. You met some incredible people,
1: yeah.
0: now from presidents on down. You've traveled the world. You've performed music. You played professional basketball. Were offered a job as the lead singer of the Commodores. Yeah. Yeah, you know, man. are there any mountains left to climb? Now you're an award-winning author. We just found yeah, out today.
1: Yeah, that's great, man. No, so, what's letting, next? Yeah, I don't know. I'm letting you know wherever the good Lord leads me. You know when I look back, you know, I got to kiss Elizabeth Taylor on her cheek. Uh, met everybody, man. You know, played the piano with Ronnie Mels, Millsap. Uh, uh, oh, man. I wouldn't change anything about the experiences with the Globetrotters. The only thing i changed is maybe the salary. And, uh, <laughs> uh, I understand. Man, I don't regret that at all. But I'm happy now. I have a happy life. I have a nice uh, fiance now. That's, that's, I'm, I'm happy.
0: And we're happy you spent time with us today. Nate Branch, thank you for being thank here.
1: Thank you, Burke. You, Court, and Barry, you changed my life again, man. Love it.
0: It's our thank pleasure. You. The book and is Nate Branch, Playing My Way Through Life. It's an award winner, Hollywood Book Festival award winner. Congratulations, Nate.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Tell Kathy hello. I, you know, I was looking at her and I was talking to her. I didn't realize that was the Kathy I met from Washington, D.C. Hello, Kathy. I love you, sweetie.
0: That's Kathy Teets, our publisher from Headline Books, who is our partner on the Big Time Talker podcast and Zoom into books. Remember, Nate Branch, legendary Globetrotter's book, available at natebranch.com. Get an autographed copy, While Supplies Last. Also available at headlinebooks.com, amazon.com, wherever books are sold. Nate, thank you for being here. Thank you, everybody, for watching and listening. listening. I'm glad to make it a great day. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.